From the Bristol Herald Courier, I'm Delena Matthews, and this is On the Record. This week, listen to Robert Sorrell interview Sullivan County Deputy District Attorney General June Perrin about a case where two men were sentenced to time behind bars for giving fentanyl to a Bristol, Tennessee woman who overdosed and died in 2017. So first of all, tell me how this entire, I guess, case started. I understand Ms. Rutherford was from Bristol and she, I guess, passed away. Uh, she was uh, originally from Bristol. Uh, at the time, was living, uh, in, I believe, in Knoxville. But she was uh, at her grandmother's home, and she overdosed as a result of ingesting fentanyl. And when she was discovered, the Bristol, Tennessee Police Department was called. And because of the circumstances surrounding her death, an investigation began or was initiated by the Bristol, Tennessee Police Department. And because at some point in time, it was determined that drugs would be involved in this, the Second Judicial Drug Task Force assisted our office and the Bristol, Tennessee Police Department in this investigation. Okay. Now, is this the first case that had been filed in Sullivan County regarding a fentanyl death, particularly Uh, with Mr. Campbell? uh, Well, now, okay, I'm sorry I answered your question too fast. This is not the first fentanyl death in Sullivan County. This was the first death that we can associate with Mr. Campbell's drug activity. Okay, but is it the first um, prosecution of this particular kind of case? No. Involving a death? Not at all. How many others have you had in Sullivan County? That Where somebody was prosecuted. Dif- difficult to say because our office has been extremely aggressive in prosecuting second-degree murder for drug overdoses when they have occurred. And I would have to go way back into the archives of this office, but I've personally handled a number of these prosecutions in the past that involved either heroin or cocaine. Uh, so it's uh, it's something that has has been around and that our office has prosecuted. But right now, at this point in time, uh, it's all kind of come to the forefront because of the epidemic that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about why fentanyl is so dangerous and why it's become a problem in Sullivan County. Well, first of all, fentanyl is so dangerous because of its potency and because it is either being mixed with other drugs or sold under the pretext of it being an, another drug, such as heroin, being sold, represented to be heroin, but in fact it's fentanyl, straight fentanyl, or being mixed, uh, 
uh, and then you take into combination its potency that it's uh, it is a game changer. It it is taking many many lives of citizens throughout this region, Southwest Virginia, Northeast Tennessee, and in recognition of that, the state legislature recently changed the law where fentanyl is a standalone from the other Schedule One and Schedule Two controlled substances. And what I mean by that is that up until recently, when a death occurred, as a, a, a when a death occurs resulting from an individual's use of a either Schedule One or Schedule Two controlled substance, the death had to be a result of the, the, the drug use, the, the drug Schedule One, Schedule Two, had to be the proximate cause of the user's death. And that was problematic and, and remains problematic because very rarely do you have a Schedule One or a Schedule Two drug standalone that cause the death because there will be other drugs in combination, what the toxicologists call a drug cocktail. And there is a synergistic effect in toxicology where one drug plus one drug plus one drug does not equal three, it equals five or it equals six because the drugs combine with each other to enhance the effect on the body. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, it was problematic when you had more than a Schedule One or Schedule Two drug in the user's system because we would oftentimes find a Schedule Three, a Schedule Four, alcohol, other things that added to this synergistic effect. So many of the deaths we couldn't prosecute as just straight out second-degree murder. Now, in Ms. Rodifer's case, it was straight fentanyl, so that was not a problem. But going back to my original point, state legislature changed it so that if fentanyl is in the mix, if fentanyl uh, either standing alone or fentanyl in combination with uh, other drugs, if, if it's there and it caused the death, then then we can prosecute it as second-degree murder. So let me read to you. I want to just open up and read to you the, the statute. Okay. And uh, let's see. Second-degree. So you can kind of see the wording and why it is. Um... So second-degree murder, and this is Section 3913.210, it's either A, the knowing killing of another, or B, and this pertains to drugs, the killing of another that results from the unlawful distribution of any Schedule One or Schedule Two drug when the drug is the proximate cause of the death of the user, or three, and this is the fentanyl, and this is what went into effect July 1st, 2018. The killing of another by unlawful distribution or unlawful delivery or unlawful dispensation of fentanyl 
or carfentanil when those substances alone or in combination with any substance scheduled as a controlled substance, including controlled substance analogs, is the proximate cause of the death of the user. So while the statute still requires us to show the drug use was a proximate cause, because of the potency of fentanyl, if fentanyl's in the mix, we don't have to worry about the synergistic effect that has been a bar to many of our prosecutions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Is that clear enough? I'm yes. Wrong. Yes, okay, it is. Good. Good. So, in this particular case, how did the fentanyl get to Mrs. Rodifer? The fentanyl got to Miss Rodifer by way of her uncle, Calvin Richard Campbell. Uh, the fentanyl that killed her, I am confident, came from Mario Lewis, who was the distributor down in Atlanta, who had uh, Mr. Campbell and several other individuals in this region trafficking his drugs for him. Okay. Do you know how long he had been doing that, distributing the drugs through our region? Uh, I would say this is, this. let's put it this way, this wasn't his first rodeo. He had been doing it for some time. Okay. And ha- when this happened, had you been tracking him before? No, we did not know about him. Okay. And it was through, it was through really good good investigative work on behalf of the Bristol, Tennessee Police Department and the Second Judicial Drug Task Force that we were able to identify who we thought was the source of the drugs. And then um, Mr. Campbell uh, was given an opportunity to provide assistance to law enforcement to avoid federal prosecution, and he chose to do so, and through information he provided, our drug agents posing as, as individuals associated with Mr. Campbell were put into contact or able to contact Mr. Mario Lewis and order up through the uh, internet and mail packages of drugs that he sent to Sullivan County. Okay. So he used internet and mail to distribute those drugs to Sullivan County? He did. And okay. some money would be wired to him, and he would send the drugs up here. Is that a common practice? Uh, it, yes. It, yes. It, there, there are many different ways of, of bringing drugs in. Oftentimes they are muled in, which is the... They are brought in by individuals that are associates of the drug dealers. I think Mr. Lewis probably uh, made a number of trips himself to bring the drugs and oftentimes will send it in by way of, of United States Mail, UPS, Federal Express, any of the commercial carriers, and send it in in packages. Now, do those mail carriers often work with law enforcement in these particular cases? Uh, to stop it or to investigate it? We do, we do have uh, cooperation uh, from some of our carriers, some 
are much more diligent than others in trying to assist law enforcement. Some don't seem to be as willing to address the problem. Okay. Now, in Mrs. Rodifer's case, do you know if she was willingly taking this fentanyl? There is no indication that her use of the drugs that killed her was anything other than a voluntary and knowing decision on her part. Okay. Um, now with Mr. Campbell, uh, uh, had you um, heard of him before this? Uh, Mr. Campbell had an extensive criminal record. And uh, as it would be, the Bristol, Virginia Commonwealth Attorney's Office also had some open cases on him for selling drugs in Bristol, Virginia. So he was known to law enforcement. Uh, when this occurred, when she died, was he on bail at the time? Uh, he was. He was on bail in a completely different case. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on bail. He had been uh, charged with driving under the influence and evading arrest, and that those charges were pending, and he was on bail when this occurred. Where was that case at? Was that in Salton County? Yes. And the state filed, or I filed, a motion to increase his bond based upon the fact that he was on bail and Judge Goodwin heard it and Judge Goodwin granted the motion and increased his, his bond, and I do not remember the exact amount, but to amount that he was unable to make. So he remained at that point in time in custody until his plea. Okay. Now, I was looking up Mr. Lewis, and I saw that he was actually in custody recently at the Southwest Virginia Regional Jail. Do you know why? I don't. I know that Mr. Lewis was taken into custody in Atlanta, where he resided, and he was eventually brought back to Northeast Tennessee, and I would have assumed that he was housed by the marshals in northeast Tennessee. I do not know that, uh, I don't know where they housed him. So that might be a question to ask of the United States marshals. But I do know he was arrested in Atlanta, ultimately brought up here, and then was incarcerated until his recent sentencing, and then should have been transported to Bureau of Prisons. Okay. Do you know if any of his other fentanyl um, resulted in any deaths? It's a great question. Um, do I have do I have confirmation where I could could either bring charges or uh, advise uh, other prosecutors bring charges? No. Do I have? Suspicions, I, yes, I, I would very much believe that uh, his drugs have killed other people. I don't, that was just simply a, a belief on my part based upon years of doing this and knowing that in the past it's episodic and it's often when you find one overdose, 
you will find other related overdoses. Mm. Were there any other overdoses at the time of Mrs. Rutherford's overdose? You know, this happened back in 2017. Mm-hmm. So it would be hard. For, I cannot at this point in time say specifically that there were, but this is in, in part uh, her death, which was a tragedy. I mean, I it, it's, it, this was a tragic situation all the way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her death and the death of many others has brought to the forefront our efforts uh, here in Sullivan County with the assistance of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to address uh, this epidemic and to try to identify individuals and organizations that are bringing drugs either into Sullivan County to sell or are getting medications prescribed to them and they're selling medication. So we are increasingly more diligent as to as to trying to track overdose deaths and where appropriate open up criminal investigations to hopefully result in prosecutions. Okay. So how common are fentanyl related overdoses now? Common. Okay. Can you be more specific than that? Well, um, do you have statistics for the year so far? You know, I, I have. Let me look at this. It would be very difficult for me to give you statistics for the year so far because of the time, the lag time between the death and the release of the autopsy. So let me look let me look at two thousand eighteen if you don't mind. Okay. And keep in mind, please, that statistically that for every overdose death, we are I have been told by those that do keep numbers that there are thirteen overdoses in which the person is resuscitated. Okay. Now, I'm looking right here. There's one, two, three, four, five. Okay. 
but now you understand why I said it's uh, it is increasing. So is the district attorney's office pleased, I guess, with the outcome of this case? Extremely. Because I think this is, is a great example of the strong uh, relationship that we have with the United States Attorney's Office in Greenville uh, because of, of some of the obstacles that that I would have faced as a state prosecutor in trying to uh, to address Mr. Mario Lewis and especially to be able to to see that he was appropriately punished. We went to the United States Attorney's Office and said, you know, we've taken this death investigation as far as, as we can go. Uh, Mr. Lewis had at some point in time I think become very suspicious of, of what was going on up here and quit having any communications with our narcotics officers. And the United States Attorney's Office in Greenville was able to work with federal agencies in Georgia. And ultimately, we were able to, to not only prosecute successfully Mr. Campbell, but Mr. Campbell, as part of his agreement, to avoid federal prosecution, agreed and gave a proffer of his testimony against Mr. Mario Lewis, which played, I uh, would imagine, a big part in Mr. Lewis plead guilty. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, I feel like I feel like the person that provided the drugs to Miss Rodderford, as well as the source of the drugs that led to her death, you know, they they were. They were successfully prosecuted, and justice was done. But again, uh, you know, I, I, I emphasize the tragic nature of this case because uh, of all of the family connections involved. It was a mm-hmm. it was a very difficult case for this family because one family member was was the victim, and one family member was the person who right. ended up going to prison for a lengthy sentence. On the Record was made possible by David McKee, David Krieger, Delina Matthews, and Brian Woodson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.